Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CSIS. Seminario. I am a senior fellow here at CSIS, and I am also the deputy director of the Americas program. Today, within the framework of the CSIS project on prosperity and development, we are very glad to welcome each of you for what we hope will be an interesting and engaging conversation on the future of work in Argentina. It is my privilege today to introduce the Argentine Minister of, for Labor and Production, Mr. Dante Sica. Minister Sica is an economist, an accountant, and an international development specialist, who in the early 90s established a think tank called Centro de Estudios Bonaerenses, that would later become a consulting firm called ABCEB, where they've primarily focused on economic studies for the United Nations, World Bank, Inter-American Development Bank, among others. Some of his other professional highlights include, in 2002, when Eduardo Dualde became president of Argentina, Mr. Sica was appointed Minister of Industry, Commerce, and Mining. In 2017, Mr. Sica was awarded by the government of Brazil the Order of Rio Branco. This is the single most prestigious award granted to those who contribute to strengthen the relationships between Brazil and Argentina. In June 2018, he was appointed by President Macri as Minister of Production. And in September of the same year, he was appointed Minister of Production and Labor. The agenda today will include keynote remarks by Minister Sica, followed by an armchair conversation between Mr. Sica and my colleague, CSIS Senior Fellow Romina Bandura, um, and at the end, a Q&A session with the public. Some very brief logistics. Uh, for those watching online, the live stream video will be available after the event finishes today. And I would kindly ask you to please uh, silence your cell phones. Uh, Señor Ministro, bienvenido a CSIS. Mr. Minister, welcome to CSIS. We welcome your presentation. Good morning, thank you for the invitation and for allowing me to tell you my views on the labor market uh, in Argentina and its future, the area under my purview and uh, in, entrusted by me by President Macri and the institutional design for this area allows us to understand the production process and its impact on the labor market and looking at the chain production from the point of view of labor and the business relations, and we can act more firmly uh, looking into the future, not just at the juncture, but the future prospects. Presentation is bilingual, but there is English translation. I apologize, my English is not uh, up to par. 
we can uh, discuss what are the, at the outset, the features of the labor market in Argentina. Argentina has some issues to deal with, and everybody agrees business, labor, etc. We have stopped creating formal uh, jobs. Eight are informal and f freelancers or autonomous, and they're outside the sector. We have an urban population of 40, 41 million people, and we first have a low uh, quantity of assets, 19 million, are, 17 are unemployed, 2 million unemployed. The unemployment is 10%, and it hasn't changed in the last four years. And when we looked at the unemployed, we have 8.3 formal employees, and 4.4 million are informal employees, so we have a, a serious segmentation. And then we also have uh, people that are not on salary, freelancers, 4.5 million. So we have almost 9 million people that are formal and informal employees that have jobs that are precarious. The informals are the ones that have no rights. They don't participate in uh, labor uh, agreements. They don't have stable contracts. When it rains, they don't go to work. They don't collect a paycheck. And they're la they're, there is a, a high impact of that. If we look at the parameters of in the rest of the countries, we should say that for the active employees are about eight, 10 million people, and we will, it will take us about 40 years at a growth rate of 3% to have the uh, same labor standards as the OGD. We should be able to incorporate about 7 million to 8 million people, and 70% of those should be women. When you look at this picture, there's some pros for Argentina. We are a country that have a, a growth that is positive. This will continue up until 2038, 2040. But today, this bonus is being wasted, um, so to speak, because there are many informal employees that are not included, and we have low participation of women in this um, job market. The other side is that 30%, 35% of the informal employees make it difficult to have poverty in rates less than 25%. And this has a direct impact on social security because 4 million people that are informal don't make any contribution. And as soon as they leave, the job market should have social coverage. So this previsional or social net system for retirement says we have passive employers, 8 million active. So between the active and, and assets and passive balance. So we need to have almost three worker, active workers for all the 
passive workers. That also has to do with the fiscal instability in Argentina. We have a deficit of around three, three and a half points of the GDP, and that has to be covered by taxes. So if we look at the this snapshot, it's tempting to just have a generalized approach of how we're going to solve these issues. Again, we have to do labor reform and but the thing is, when we look at this a bit closer up, we see that it's actually three distinctive realities. This data that we looked at in a homogeneous way actually represents three realities. We have the developed, more capitalist uh, Argentina with greater capital, and then that's about 10% of the economically active population. That's less than half of uh, unemployment. It's about 10% in Argentina. The unemployment there doesn't go beyond 3%. Where we see formal employment there, quality, and it's very self-regulating because it better, it makes use of the labor market. And then given, there's a few problems as far as technology training. We have some of the most qualified in technology but it's the more modernized, dynamic uh, part of the labor market. Again, quality formal employment. However, we have another group, the more traditional group, that's less has to do with technology. On the other half, we have 40% of the economically active population. That's the more traditional group. We have most of the problems of the informal market are there. We don't have a problem of employment being created, but the conditions of the employment and the low quality jobs. And this has to do with the regulatory framework. We see uh, women and youth being most hard hit in this group. Again, in the group between 17 and 24 years of age. And uh, unemployment is almost twice that of the the previous group. And here we see a lack of information doesn't have to do with the ability, employability. Almost all of the activities that have to do with domestic market are represented here. And they suffered uh, the recession. Again, they're the ones that are the most problematic. Their unemployment there. Then we have the segment that's farthest behind. It's the pre-capitalist group, if you want to call it by something. 50% of the working age population is there. This explains almost 100% of the those who are unemployed. It's a low productivity sector. And they're associated, again, with very low productivity sectors. It's a vicious cycle between workers who lack training, or a lack of education. One of every two workers in this section works in the informal market, and it's basically the working poor. Just Although they have a formal employment, they earn less than half of, of the top echelon. And they are very dependent on social welfare programs. It's thought in Argentina that 60% of workers uh, fall below the poverty threshold and they are highly dependent on social welfare programs. 
they're basically concentrated in this segment of the population. So obviously, uh, technological changes will impact this segment, but in a differential way. So we have to develop public policies that have greater diversity in terms of all of these different spectrums. We have opportunities for improvements in all of these sectors, whether it's service, uh, IT, logistics, uh, retraining. But if we don't uh, develop professional development programs or more comprehensive approaches, then that segmentation will be difficult to do away with. When we think, think about a single approach to labor reform, and we have these three segments of the population, it, it gets away from where we need to really focus the conversation. Reforms, in particular in the labor market, have to be very tailored. And people, it has to do with labor relations, people who are well-established in certain sectors. So what we have to take from this is that there can't be a single approach to deal with this issue. We have to take the best practices from other countries, but we have to uh, make them appropriate to each one of these segments of the population. This segmentation makes it very difficult to have a single one, uh, a single approach. We also have to have a policy, however, that is comprehensive in the sense of it's tackling the issue on all fronts. I would say that, that that type of a comprehensive approach could be focused on three areas of action, supply and demand. Uh, labor demand, demand for, for workers. We need to increase the condition of, of companies. We have a rate of uh, companies uh, going bust that's, that's astonishing. And that's in grand measure because of the regulatory framework. It's a system where it's hard to have access to financing and there's instability in, in the market. Again, regulations that, that are very burdensome. So we need to generate a macroeconomy that's stable, that creates a, a business climate, a favorable business climate. This will stimulate the growth of companies these labor restrictions in addition to the difficulties that companies are already facing creates this informal market. We've made some strides forward over the past four years. Unfortunately, the macro economy was what most uh, hard hit companies. Labor markets uh, supply. There's lots of competition. We have, there's new demand for work but again, problems with training, deficiencies in the process of the educational system. We also have deficiencies in ongoing training. It's a very dynamic labor market. Companies and, and workers themselves are, are taking on some of this responsibility. But what we really need is greater coordination through the public sector. So these are key then. This would be key both with labor and in different provinces. But we have to rethink basically our regulatory framework. In a country like Argentina, 
which is different from other uh, countries in Latin America, these uh, labor institutions are very well developed. And they've lost track of certain targets in terms of the labor market. They've thought more about how to uh, keep the positions and not as much on taking care of the worker. We need to focus on decent working conditions. In the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, in, in general, people would have only two to three different jobs throughout their entire career. And human resources at that point, when they saw someone's, um, someone's CV, it, it was pretty much beginning to end. Now, someone who goes into work will have between 12 to 14 jobs throughout their life. So the labor framework needs to have flexibility that can account for that. But it also has to guarantee some basic rights, you know, a decent wage and working conditions. So we need to readjust our focus in this labor market. We need to make it more liquid, more um, capable of taking on this multifaceted uh, approach to work. So the agenda in terms of work is something that needs to be, that is now much more complex and needs to be much more comprehensive. We have to take into account macro and micro uh, dynamics. In that sense, then, we have uh, made some progress and we would like to continue to uh, advance. I just want to highlight a few of the programs that we've had. This is the first administration, non-Peronist uh, administration, uh, that has been able to, in four years, uh, continually uh, form consensus as we've uh, developed laws. So we have a program that, to a certain extent, wanted to change the regulatory framework of markets, a deal with the red tape, a facilitate productivity financing, create better macroeconomic conditions and business climate. For example, we have a law on a knowledge-driven economy. A helping to develop those companies that focus on, on technology. And then we've also, with the private uh, sector and with the Chambers of Commerce, we've worked to unite them. We're one of the first countries that at the OIT, which celebrated its 100th anniversary, anniversary and in the first few months of the year, uh, looked towards the future of work. Uh, emphasizing all of the issues that have to be resolved in the tripartite uh, committee. We were one of the first countries to develop a tripartite committee that would take into account labor, the business sector, and state perspectives. And the ILO was the coordinating body of that. We have new categories for employment that uh, can facilitate uh, hiring processes. The idea of having different categories, uh, taking into account uh, platform-based work. We think it's worked well, and we've also had uh, dialogues with different sectors 
so that we can solve different or settle certain issues. This depends a lot on the political strength of a government of a government, and it's fluid. But we're hoping that we can take forward the agreements we've been able to foster during our our time in office. But the ones that we've advanced in, for example, we changed after having exports drop for six years. They're now on the rise. We've dealt with you know, workplace uh, hazards, but we've also uh, made our, pop our working population more produ uh, productive and competitive. And we also want to work on three levels. We want to uh, strengthen uh, companies, but also strengthen the workforce, make them more competitive. And so with all of this, we hope that, uh, well, we had hoped that we could win the election and continue along this, but we had all sorts of different proposals. We created uh, less of a tax burden for small and medium-sized uh, companies and startups. We uh, made the domestic market more flexible. We wanted to promote investment. Um, we've also attempted to modernize our, our labor, all, labor law framework and make and update our uh, regulatory framework. There's a few issues that we'd like to continue to work on in the next few years. We have a situation in which there's companies uh, are reticent to hire formal employees or because of, of the litigious conditions of the, the labor market. It leads to fewer people being able to uh, get formal employment, but we have a collective agreement in Argentina, and there are some that date back to the 1970s uh, for record keepers or a soldier who worked in mechanics. Sometimes there would be four individuals. Soldador capacitado. Today, a professional welder does not need assistance, and updating the collective bargaining is difficult. If there is no agreement between labor and business, they don't get updated. So they get perpetuated in time, and that generates rigidities. So someone that could be a welder assistant it cannot be a welder. So multifunction is not adequate. So we have only two categories of workers, and there are new uh, training going on in Argentina, whether it's either you are independent or, or, or dependent, or autonomous or employed. And if they ask you uh, to pick up a package on your way to work, on your way to home, and for that they're going to pay you, What? how do you fall into the categories? How do they classify you? So we now are thinking of having a category that is platform workers, so they have more flexibility. And then we also have to reduce the impact of the litigation industry. If you hire somebody for seven months, the business is not going well, you fire them, you have to pay them 30 
salaries because the law is very unclear as to how the payment is calculated. You don't pay according to what the reported salary is, but what the worker says that he was getting paid. So there are witnesses that are not reliable, and that is affecting the legal consequences. There, there's a lot to deal with that. And then the updating of the standards that generates uh, uh, professional training. We invest in professional training by business and labor, but it is not coordinated. It has to be ongoing from the time someone enters the job market. We have to work with the youth as soon as they enter the job market so they can um, they know how to behave, but also work with those that are 40, 45 years old that have become unemployed, and we need to train them. Today, the um, Commerce Labor Union has um, the most members, but e-commerce is changing the way business is done. Many of those that lose their jobs, could be retrained for logistics, and that is the other side of the coin of e-commerce that doesn't expand more because of technology or logistic support, but the modernization of e-delivery and um, mail delivery. So we are working, uh, anticipating what the future skills will be to predict the demands of the next five years and working with incentives to uh, better manage. In, and in order to wrap up and move to the questions, I'll say that there is not only one approach that fits all. Um, we have to learn from previous uh, or, or best experiences, best lessons, and go from more to less regulation. In, and in the top quadrant where there's more flexibility and job security and a higher degree of employability. Countries that have made reforms and have modernized their systems with more mature economies have allowed for that to happen. But there's not one single approach. You have to look at the practices and adjust. In Latin America, there are countries where there are no labor unions. Labor unions are very strong in Argentina since the 40s. And you have to sit at the table and negotiate with them. now. Where do we want to go, and what do we have to do? If you look at Argentina, our segmented market is in three places. On one end, if there, there may be less security per worker, but and other countries that are less regulated. Argentina is lagging behind the worst Argentina. We have a dynamic Argentina with more security for the workers, with the same structure. Now, we cannot um, have so many systems 
and we have to try to make them flow into one system. For that, we need an agenda that is a multi-prong and not just uh, from the point of view of the government, but we cannot continue, we cannot afford to have a segmented market for people that will never have rights. So not one approach, but we have to be pragmatic. Labor unions are reluctant to have a discussion. They say it's not the political uh, conducive time, but they don't want to give up rights or some benefits they have, but we have to continue to move along. We can't have half of our population without decent work, and we have to move towards a more modern job market consistent with the technologies, more inclusive. We talked about job protection, but if we say productivity, that's linked to decent work and a path to development. That means formalized employment and more uh, security for workers. Thank you. Thank you, Minister Sika. I am a senior fellow at the Project Prosperity Develop and Development. Thank you for your excellent presentation, a great deal of information that we have to digest. Here at CSIS, we did a study on the future of work in developing countries. And what you said does not only apply to Argentina. If you look at Nigeria, Brazil, we also studied India. The informal sector is very large. In India, 90% of its population is employed informally. Nigeria, 70%. Brazil, 35 to 40%. So people are working. The unemployment rate is not a reliable indicator to understand the job market. But as you said, the, the quality, the, the job quality is more an indicator. So it's been now a decade that formal employment has not been growing in Argentina. For you, Minister, what are the three ingredients that are behind this lack of growth? I'd say that in general, the job framework is the growth rate in Argentina for the last few years has been low. It has generated employment, but not too much formal employment. The businesses have the risk of the litigation industry through mid, the mid-80s. 
early in the 90s and early 2000s that systems that have favored informal employment and they punished formal employment. That has generated uh, perverse uh, contradiction for, for incentives. So 60% of jobs are generated by SMEs only and they generate the most positions. A new business could be a small textile industry or a food uh, industry. When they look at the lack of security, the risk, not only for prospects, but the fact that they can be sued uh, to um, crush them into bankruptcy, that affects the job market. It's a disincentive. Uh, the, if you look at the red tape and how the businessman is not protected and uh, the economic impact, and that has prevented employment generation. There's also rigidity when it comes to training, but the, that explains the low inc uh, job generation. Also, the lack of competitiveness for Argentine firms. We have opened the markets recently, but it's a very closed economy, a pro uh, high taxation rate. So the way to keep operating is tax evasion. So not only do they not pay taxes when it comes to value-added tax, but also employment taxes. So, so that's the, how the rigidity of the job market affects employment. And the high rate of taxation that leaves companies uh, unable to compete. So we also discussed uh, women as a factor. Many women are not working, and uh, they also work in informal jobs. Can you uh, elaborate as to what are the reasons behind that? It's a very closed market for women. We see more participation of women in the job market after the 90s, then uh, positive legislation uh, or more incentives for training. In the last few years, we try to change maternity leave laws for many companies that was a, a block of those women that are not working, many of them have low skills. That's a vicious circle from those 7 million people that we should be incorporating into the working population. 50 to 60% are women, and they don't have enough training to enter the job market. And that training has to do with service markets where there could be more expansion in terms of health uh, systems and 
uh, care and protection of children. So we are working uh, along those lines to increase the, the, the numbers. So when the market is a little more dynamic, there's more participation of women, but still their participation is low for management posts. So let's talk about the Argentina's economy as a closed economy, not too competitive. What are, I know you don't have the crystal ball, but what are the sectors that you believe could become more competitive and generate decent jobs for the future? Unfortunately, we are in the midst of structural reform, but there are four to five engines for growth, and that can generate employment, some with more dynamic than others. If I had to say, the first would be the food platform, agricultural business that goes from soy production, oil, seeds, and the com commercialization. We have opened up our meat exports to Asia, and so there's a lot of room for growth for uh, the f fruits, also that's generating employment. We also have a significant uh, economic engine in the energy sector, the second country in the world, uh, growing in terms of gas and non-conventional uh, petroleum. We have the Vaca Muerta production. We've been able to resurrect that, and, and it's up and running all sorts of investment from U.S. companies. And that's not all, only important in the short term, but also it's generating employment, investment in the area. It's also important because of the, the supply chain and how that mobilizes investment. That's also had a huge impact on the uh, mechanical, metallurgical sector. But it will also affect, in the medium term, different industries. Industry is not looking for cheap work. It's working for cheap labor so that it can be better integrated in the productive processes in the industrialized country. So energy of today has the value because it's mobilizing the economy. So I think over the medium long term, if we continue to invest in it, we'll have one of the most dynamic energy sectors in, in the, the region. Also mining. Argentina has a, a beginning a meteorological sector. We're uh, along Chile. We share the uh, Chile exports about 40 million uh, in this area a year. And we're on the way, but we're developing that sector regionally. That's primarily in the northern provinces. And now with lithium, it's also having a significant impact on the economy. So food, energy, mining, and then uh, knowledge. We're the third exporter in terms of uh, knowledge-based services. It's a big power because we have very highly qualified human resources. We uh, high numbers who speak English. Also, times the scheduling helps as far as uh, business relationships. 
And then there's also state policy that's helped. We have a recent law in pol- uh, that aims to uh, foment software developing companies. We've also given some uh, tax breaks to these types of centers and in this area. And we think that in the next four years, or I'm sorry, six years, we might be able to create six million jobs in that area. Again, very focused on exportation. So these are the four or five economic engines that can provide different degrees of of quality. Uh, Tourism as well, I'm sorry. What we're developing in tourism in Argentina, in addition to the competition with the dollar, is we want to have better infrastructure for flights. It's a large country in terms of its territory, and we'd like to expand a bit on uh, flight abilities, availabilities. That has to do with the 4G network and connectivity, something we've built upon with our Wi-Fi connectors. We all like to go to <laughs> go on vacation to the most difficult places. We want to go to the jungle. We want to take a, a selfie and, and immediately send it off to our friends, and that requires good networks. So we've been we've been strengthening transportation and these uh, IT networks. But again, we have highly qualified uh, human resources, and I think we can leverage that in the energy and mining sectors. So these are areas that will be the engines for expansion. And we want to build upon the service sector as well. We hope that we can continue with these reform processes, better macroeconomic stability, and better labor uh, framework. And I think we will have a a workforce supply that will also be in the advantage of, of young people coming into the market so that we won't have people leaving different sectors, but they will be, be there to modernize these proct- these new sectors or growing sectors. When we talk about the 4.0 sector in Argentina, here in the U.S. and in advanced countries, it's like a field that creates a bit of anxiety because they think of how robotics will take over and AI and these new technologies. There are those who say, well, this will replace or displace, rather, many workers. How does Argentina view that? Is it seen, is it a a source of anxiety, uh, seen as something hopeful? You mentioned, for example, uh, labor. Are there some strategies um, for Argentina looking forward? I don't know, through the Ministry of Education or other ministries. How is it being approached? I don't want to take a negative view of things. We know that the workplace will change, and we'll have to as well. But technology also has the potential to create new employment. If you look back 50 years, you were working in an office and and you had people uh, who were typing up written documents on hard copy and feeding paper through machines, right? That job itself has been lost, but now we have new jobs who have replaced them, new office jobs. 
<laughs> right. I, I, I'm well familiar with these uh, old machines. Again, we thought that the ATMs would replace entirely the, the banking and the financial system, and actually it's created, we've seen the financial system grow more than other sectors, even as technology has advanced. So I don't think there will be, a, um, it will be across the board anywhere in Argentina either. But I think in general, I don't think we need to take an apocalyptic view of things either. We've begun to direct these types of discussions. When we talk about modernizing our workforce, we know that they're going to be facing issues in terms of developing human resources and uh, providing the knowledge and training required for these new uh, new technologies. So we're beginning to talk about this at the commissional level, and we're talking with labor. In the past year, we had the recession, and, and that then slowed down our ability to change things. It doesn't mean that it put the brakes on it, but in the last year, we, we lost almost 60,000 uh, jobs. There's no single investment that can change. We're changing muscle towards uh, brain power. The other uh, issue is the low level of financing for productivity. And that it affects the digitalization of the of different sectors. There's resistance on behalf of, of labor. They're reticent to begin this discussion. Uh, we have been able to be successful at a company level, but it's difficult sometimes to talk about this in a comprehensive manner. Sometimes it has to do with ideologies or a political views of things and that can create some resistances. Let me give you a specific case. The largest uh, union in Argentina has to do with uh, trade. The leader of that union is generating lots of change because we see the electronic uh, things that are, are being done. For example, people buying online. So it's dynamic. Four years, he'll, he'll be 84, 85. So he'll finish his term in office 80 something years old. He, he's a little bit hard of hearing, but he's healthy. On average, that union it has people who on average are 30 years old. Like I'm 64, so the one who negoci negotiates uh, with the Chamber of Commerce is 78. So it's not that I have anything against age, but again, I think that youth is some value that we lose over time. But I think there's going to be dynamic change when we sit down to uh, settle some, some agreements or, or come to agreement. So I think that's something that we're going to have to uh, do. And we need to talk about this, not these new companies will demand it. There's a free trade 
zone. There's something akin to the Amazon dynamic, and they are uh, bringing on these changes with the different unions. And they're bringing change that the unions sometimes can't because of their vested interests. Another one of the the impediments we've seen is the difference between what the private sector really needs and how the educational system is set up and, and the type of future workers it's producing. In Argentina, do companies have a role to play a relationship with the Ministry of Education? Is there dialogue, for example, between the educational sector or the Ministry of Education and work and production and labor? It's widespread, but first and secondary school is done at the provincial level. In the province of Buenos Aires, we have a different platform, but in the provinces, sometimes that dynamic doesn't exist and the correlation isn't there. And there are outdated uh, systems in terms of the way things are managed. And I think they tend to have a more traditional view of things. Where there is some, some overlap and some connection is the development of the workforce supply and, and at the university level professors with a more futuristic outlook. But there's increasingly a, a closer relationship between these, these sectors. But again, it's not across the board. I don't know if anyone else has some opinions on that, but I, I would say that that's, that's more or less the lay of the land. One last question. Here on Thursday, we have a very important holiday. It's Thanksgiving here in the U.S. It dates back to the pilgrims who celebrated the good crops after the first year. Will you be here? No, I'll be having back. Well, don't leave without having some, some turkey because here, ah, let me see if I can take one with me. I don't know if they'll let me get through customs, but. And in general, what families do is, in addition to have, to hold a real party, they, they give thanks for different things. So if you today or, or this week on Thursday were to be thankful for something, in your time in office or, or things that have happened in the Argentine economy, what would be one of the things you'd be grateful for? I'd be grateful mostly for having been a, able to build closer relationships between the business sector and, and labor. Even though we have different uh, viewpoints, I think we've been able to work more closely in, in this process towards modernization. I think that's one of the things I'd be most grateful for. I've been uh, very thrilled to be able to participate in this process, but also I'm, there's great frustration. I would like to be able to continue with these changes. Argentina ne needs significant change in the next 12 years, and these things can't happen overnight. They ha have to happen in successive uh, phases. 
and everything has to be tailored uh, and adjusted to the new changes that come along. So the great challenge we have as a society then, I think, is that the entire Argentine population ha needs to have the ability to have a decent job. Now we have just a few minutes for a Q&A session. I think I have Adan, uh, the young lady in the last row, this gentleman here. Are there microphones? I'm a senior vice president here. Thanks for coming. Welcome. Um, could you talk about uh, Argentina made a big effort on uh, joining the OECD? Argentina made a big effort in joining the OECD. Um, and if I look at your presentation, it seems to me that there is a, there was obviously, there was. No What's the channel? Technology is great. New headset. When it works. <laughs> sí, sí, ahora okay, sí. you can okay. hear it. Okay. So could you talk about, I, I, I've heard your present. thanks for coming, thanks for your presentation. OECD, how has the OECD impacted all this? Why is the OECD important for Argentina? My view is like, our, OECD is the club of serious countries. That's my view. Now, that's not what they call it. They call it the club of now, the president, Santos, called it the Club de Buenos Practicas, or good practices, and whatever. But basically, it's the club of real countries. Basically, it's rich countries, democracies. We have about 40 of them. My dream is that we have an OECD membership of 80 countries, and it's grown over time. So I think it was great that Argentina put a lot of effort into joining the OECD. Talk about the process, why it mattered, why should it matter if, you, if, if uh, Vice President elect Christina Kirchner was here, would you make the argument as to why the new administration in Argentina ought to consider the, continue the process? Thank you for the invitation. I agree with you regarding the need to uh, end, uh, join the OECD. Argentina is one of the three countries that are the more closed in the world. We share that with Nigeria and somebody else. We had uh, trade with less than 10% of the GDP, in, uh, world GDP, uh, isolated from the financial system and not integrated worldwide. So the challenge to have Argentina more open to the world uh, competitive and integrated meant that it was not just not being in default, but also becoming integrated into the financial system, have trade negotiations to have good practices and uh, be reliable for investors, but also to show that the path that moving forward was a path of no return. So we have to remember that Argentina is a serial defaulter. Uh, every so many years, we go back on our promises made, and part of the economic crisis drags in its wake sometimes the institutional framework. And so this 
would be a signal that we want to play with the the rules of the civilized world, the capitalistic world. And if you look at the countries that are doing well, they're open, they're integrated, and they are law-abiding. So we made progress uh, by ending the default. We have a presence in international markets. We reinstated standards of foreign trade, uh, the way we buy and sell and establish a business in Argentina is easy. We closed the agreement with the EU, and we thought that go joining the OECD meant we play by the same rules, and we are willing to do it. That's a quality seal and another step in this structural reform of a more integrated economy. How did this impact our minister? Clearly, all the ministries, even though we were not in a formal process of joining OECD, we started working as if we were in the process in establishing transparent policies with protocols published online, digitalizing our programs and systems so that it's an open government, um, everything web-based, our programs, and continue to move along those lines to working up to the uh, day one, if we were approved, if we are formally accepted then the, most of the work is already behind us. If you look at the experience of the previous administration, it was very discretionary. It maintained the economy. Uh, let's see what the degree of responsibility is and the willingness to continue with this process. A lady and a gentleman, good morning. My name is Agustina. I study law in Buenos Aires. I'd like to ask you two brief questions. One regarding the challenge for the new job market and the technologies. I work for the city of Buenos Aires trying to cut the red tape with AI and we believe that AI will not take away jobs but will allow people to spend more time on reasoning and uh, but there will be questions that AI may displace 100% of people in certain lines of work. So what kind of policies can the ministry have to rehire those displaced? And Lately, there have been issues in Argentina regarding Uber applications, for instance. How does this uh, play in your agenda, and what type of intervention policies are being implemented? I'll give you a practical example. At the ministry, we have developed an algorithm, a type of a robot, to manage procedures that are called 
energy deficiency regulations. It's like five to seven cases per week, and there was a great backlog. The algorithm was um, not accepted at the beginning, but there, there's, uh, it's very efficient. The people that were doing that job, we trained them to maintain the system and to take care of specific issues such as um, claims, and we relocated them to other areas. This we should do nationwide. It's a training and retraining of professionals. The public and the private sector are different. In the public sector, there's job stability. You cannot fire them. You have to retrain them and work with the labor union to be hired in other areas. In the private sector, is the process more dynamic? As the negotiations advance, and at the macro level, we need to have professional training so that the systems can be updated, we can hire them, pay them a salary for a while while we relocate them to other activities. In terms of the platform uh, workers, I think in June, I spoke with different ministers of work from different areas of the world. And I think in general, all of us today are concerned about how to take on this uh, arrival of this new platform-based economy. No one has the magic recipe. If you speak with the Chinese, they say, oh, I'm just going to let it grow, let it develop, and then we'll see how we regulate it. If you talk with the Spaniards, they say, well, they've already imposed strong regulations to try to flexibilize things. So there doesn't seem to be a single approach. In Argentina, I think what we're seeing is that we're, we're talking about it very quickly. We have two ways of hiring people. The uh, worker is the one who has uh, a tie or spatial tie to a specific office or factory or whatever. They receive orders. They have to go do a certain assignment or otherwise, or they're financially tied. They get three or four payments over a certain amount of time. So they depend on that particular job. So that's where labor, the labor justice system uh, can regulate. And then there's the independent contractor, you know, the professional, and, and they basically handle the, the business on their own. So if you have someone who's working through a blog or they say, hey, I'll carry this package for you with their car, what category do they fall in? Or a, a doctor who has gone to a medical uh, center for years, but he also has his independent work that he does on the side. Is he an independent contractor? Is he a formal employee? So things are very rigidly divided right now. So we're, we're dialoguing on how how we can bridge that because we haven't had the time to do that yet but we wanted to create a third category it would be called a, an autonomous or independent worker again 
for, for example, a, a doctor who works at a medical center, he has patients on the side, but he also uses the facilities of that hospital. So a third category for accountants, doctors, professionals in that, or, or independent contractors in that category. And then we would also have platform-based workers who have certain rights, insurance, uh, retirement, but they don't have the rigidity that requires the FTE-type um, employment. I think that would provide coverage for these new areas of work that we're seeing develop. So then over the next five, six years, uh, these might be developed. I think we're going to have to make certain adjustments along the way. But right now, Argentina has a very rigid system. You're either A or B. So we can see that this doesn't fit the reality of the day. There are people who just don't fit in either category. So what we have to do then is when the person determines which category they're in, either I'm going through this, you know, which agency do you go to if you have problems? Do you go through this judicial system or labor judicial system, or do you go through a different agency? So I think we just have the two categories. We have to find a, a, a third way forward, as it were. My name is Simon Kavi. I'm a member of the National Assembly. I sit in the Federal Congress in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. I just noticed that there are quite a lot of references about my country, and so I wanted to ask if there is any form of engagement that you have with the government to ensure that there's a support or assistance based on your, the, the formal studies you said you made about the non-formal sector in the labor uh, sector in Nigeria. If there's any engagement? We are. We, for by, by, by your center, which the government in Nigeria, no, I mean, based on your, your studies. Yeah, I mean, we did our, our study was independent, and we, um, we interviewed a lot of the government officials in Nigeria, but we don't have like a, a program of engagement at, at the moment. Uh, but we passed on the recommendations, and they were you know, well received. So we are a think tank, and we try to provide constructive ideas. and. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, governments will, will take our advice, but it's not always the, the case. So, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, and then one last question. Hola, mi nombre es Nicolás. My name is Nicolás Aldías. I work at the Wilson Center on the Argentina project, project. I'd like to ask you about the new administration. I know it's a political question, but the new government and the different individuals who work there say that they're not going to conduct labor reform. So they believe or say that they're going to have a social compact or pact. I don't know what type of labor reforms might be under that, but they uh, see that collective bargaining agreements are the pillar of any type of labor reform that might happen in Argentina. So first, do you think that that's going to happen? And as you said, uh, labor leaders are in their 70s and 80s, and they're and some are rather combative. So that was my first question. And secondly, I have a question about the success that other collective bargaining agreements have had under Macri's administration. 
do you think those might serve as an example for others, or do you think that will make it more difficult to deal with other uh, labor unions, for example, truck drivers? I'd like to start with your first question, then go to the first. We don't have legislative power in order to uh, bring these uh, reforms further along. But we began with agreements at the sector level so that we could get some traction and we wanted to create greater com com uh, a greater level of comp competition. Macri always quotes the center of productivity from 1952. Perón said that the North Star, as it were, was that of productivity. So he wanted to increase productivity. So we've always tried to integrate that into these agreements. We didn't want to attack the worker. We just wanted to increase productivity. And that has a labor cost associated with it. The businessman pays for very high labor cost, and the worker receives less than that from his uh, wage, uh, the point of view of wages. So the cost of employing that person to the company is sometimes at about 60%. So the idea was, let's take a look. We can see that many of these labor costs really have to do with the judicial system, for example. But they also have certain um, services that have been frozen in time because of previous collective agreements. But they do affect eventually the, the worker's wage because they have to be accounted for. In the last year and a half, we've hoped to work on textile and shoe industries, for example, and sometimes it was impossible. We sat down to the table and, and they would say, Dante, you're right, we have to change this, we agree, but after later on, they said, this isn't politically feasible to do it right now. And then union leaders would come to me and they would speak to me alone and they'd say, hey, you need to conduct these reforms because we're sure you're going to win. And they said, well, let's start now. And I said, no, 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 not quite yet. You know, the elections are pending, but let's talk about how it might be done in the future. So that format in certain uh, spheres has been productive or, or helped us move forward and in others not as much. Again, we did the RET reform, for example, we had uh, some success. Among all the things that the new president-elect has said, and of course, he hasn't even set up his cabinet, so some things remain to be seen. Terrorism can be like this or the other. It depends on the context, who said it, how they said it, and when. But one of the statements was that they were going to move forward uh, upgrading or um, up. Um, putting these collective bargaining uh, agreements, bringing them in line with the future, like the one of Vaca Muerta. So we have made some progress in certain areas. There is an agreement with workers saying that for two years there wouldn't be an increase in the real uh, wages. <clears throat> But there were investments made, and it didn't really necessarily lead to greater productivity. So they said, okay, so what are we going to do? This needs to be a living document. You need to uh, modify it every three, four, five years. Why hasn't it happened over the past 50 years? Because there is a concept in the law on work that's ultra-activity. If you have an agreement between the business sector and labor, and you modify that, then 
the last agreement agreed upon is the one that uh, prevails. So if you don't have incentives for making them modify these agreements, they're not going to do so. Obviously, these agreements need to be updated, but we want, we, there, you might need to restrict this idea of ultra-activity because it implies all sorts of unnecessary costs. They're, I think they're going to ultimately use the same recipe that we did, but we weren't able to do it in certain cases because we didn't have enough political consensus. But modernization of the system necessarily will have to take place. You're going to have to show the worker that they're not going to learn because of these reforms. They're actually going to gain because they'll have employment. But again, if you just base yourself on whatever the opinions were that were they're shared in, in the press, it's hard to see a way forward. Thank you very much.